This is the Howell Creek Radio Address for Saturday, January 25th, 2014. I'm Joel Duick. never going to believe this, but the Joel who presents himself to the microphone this week, myself, is a different Joel than the one who's been hosting the addresses up until now. I'm a later version of Joel, I guess is what I'd say. I'm 42 years old and the version of me that's indigenous, so to speak, to this time place is 32. So in that sense, I'd say I'm from 10 years further in the future. I didn't make it back in two weeks like I said I would in last week's address, or I guess in the last address. At this moment, as I record this, younger me is riding in a train and typing in what should have been this week's address. It'll actually be next week's address now, I guess. The guy's a bit silly, actually, always complaining about taking the car battery that powers this little station in to get charged and then lugging that typewriter around with him everywhere. But there is a worldview in which those two actions are consistent with each other, and you'll just have to trust me on that. So many of you will be calling us a hipster for doing that, at least until he finishes what we're working on. Uh, actually, it would make for a good podcast. I'll just leave a note for myself. I was always struggling for ideas these days. Why am I here? Well, Joel, I'm on my way back. Backwards. Like I always wanted to do. Backwards and also outwards. And on my way, I wanted to kind of stop and see the old radio shack for old times' sake. But there's something else I wanted to do too. Something I wanted to try. If there was one thing I could change about this little radio endeavor, It was that too many people started to pick up on it too soon. I know I never thought I'd say that, but yeah, it sort of undermined the purpose a little. So I thought I'd sneak in here while I'm away and fill the air with a lot of intensely boring prose that is nonetheless tangentially connected with the job I'm working on, the job that got me on that train to begin with. I figure combined with next week's address, this ought to set this whole thing back at least a year. The Discarded Image, Cambridge University Press, 1964, page 10. At his most characteristic, medieval man was not a dreamer, nor a wanderer. He was an organizer, a codifier, a builder of systems. He wanted a place for everything, and everything in the right place, quote unquote. Distinction, definition, tabulation were his delight. 
Though full of turbulent activities, he was equally full of the impulse to formalize them. War was, in intention, formalized by the art of heraldry and the rules of chivalry. Sexual passion, in intention, by an elaborate code of love. Highly original and soaring philosophical speculation squeezes itself into a rigid dialectical pattern copied from Aristotle. Studies like law and moral theology, which demand the ordering of very diverse particulars, especially flourish. Every way in which a poet can write, including some in which he had much better not, is classified in the arts of rhetoric. There was nothing which medieval people liked better, or did better, than sorting out and tidying up. Of all our modern inventions, I suspect that they would have most admired the card index. This impulse is equally at work in what seemed to us their silliest pedantries, and in their most sublime achievements. In the latter we see the tranquil, indefatigable, exultant energy of passionately systematic minds bringing huge masses of heterogeneous material into unity. The perfect examples are the Summa of Aquinas and Dante's Divine Comedy. As unified and ordered as the Parthenon or the Oedipus Rex, as crowded and varied as a London terminus on a bank holiday. But there is a third work which we can, I think, set beside these two. This is the medieval synthesis itself the whole organization of their theology, science, and history into a single, complex, harmonious mental model of the universe, capital M, capital U. The building of this model is conditioned by two factors I have already mentioned, the essentially bookish character of their culture and their intense love of system. They are bookish. They are indeed very credulous of books. They find it hard to believe that anything in an old auctur has said is simply untrue and they inherit a very heterogeneous collection of books, Judaic, Pagan, Platonic, Aristotelian, Stoical, Primitive Christian, Patristic, or, by a different classification, Chronicles, Epic Poems, Sermons, Visions, Philosophical Treatises, Satires. Obviously, their auctures will contradict one another. They will seem to do so even more, often, if you ignore the distinction of kinds and take your, your science impartially from the poets and philosophers. And this the medievals very often did, in fact, though they would have been well able to point out in theory that poets feigned. If under these conditions one also has a great reluctance flatly to disbelieve anything in a book, then here there is obviously both an urgent need and a glorious opportunity for sorting out and tidying up. All the apparent contradictions must be harmonized. A model must be built which will get everything in without a clash and it can do this only by becoming intricate, by mediating its unity through a great and finely ordered multiplicity. This task, I believe, the medievals would in any case have undertaken. But they had a further inducement in the fact that it had already been begun, and indeed carried a fair way. In the last age of antiquity, many writers, some of them will meet us in a later chapter, were perhaps half-consciously gathering together and harmonizing views of very different origin building a syncretistic model, not only out of Platonic, Aristotelian, and Stoical, but out of pagan and Christian elements. This model the Middle Ages adopted and perfected. In speaking of the perfected model as a work to be set beside the Summa and the Comedy, I meant that it is capable of giving a similar satisfaction to the mind, and for some of the same reasons. Like them, it is vast in scale, but limited and intelligible. Its sublimity is not the sort that depends on anything vague or obscure. It is, as I shall try to show later, a classical rather than a gothic sublimity. Its contents, however rich and various, are in harmony. We see how everything links up with everything else, at one, not in flat equality, but in a hierarchical ladder. 
it might be supposed that this beauty of the model was apparent chiefly to us who, no longer accepting it as true, are free to regard it, or reduced to regarding it, as if it were a work of art. But I believe this is not so. I think there is abundant evidence that it gave profound satisfaction while it was still believed in. I hope to persuade the reader not only that this model of the universe is a supreme medieval work of art, but that it is, in a sense, the central work, that in which most particular works were embedded, to which they constantly referred, from which they drew a great deal of their strength. Well, now what? If you're still with me after all that, maybe it's because you recognized yourself in there. The practice of wrapping information in versioned APIs and shuttling it around, or in the early variants of RSS feeds, which are still in use these days. The hackerly fascination with preserving and labeling every edit to every text file they ever created using distributed version control tools, starting with code and then of course, including the pros, too. These are all thoroughly medieval instincts, with all that that implies. Sorting out, tidying up. It's been said before now, but I'll say it again. Those who ignore the medieval model of the universe are doomed to repeat it poorly. Perhaps you thought that quote was originally about Unix? Well, it's the same thing. The end. Time for the sign off thing at the end. Thanks for listening to Howell Creek Radio. I'm Joel Duick. That much at least is obvious to everyone. To myself, Joel, keep going and chill out a little. Agonizing isn't going to help you keep from screwing this up. You're only going to get to experience this job the first time once, so pay attention and enjoy it. No shipping news, I guess. Huh? I'll, I think I'll let the other me bring you shipping news next week. The book excerpt was from The Discarded Image by C.S. Lewis, the last thing he published before he wrapped up. Background music cues are by Anders Trentemuller. This podcast is supported by... Icosahedron Space, the company that lets you create your own gorgeous, professional, and compelling collinear atomic narrative loops. The text of this podcast is available for reuse under a Creative Commons license.